Uh, The scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. If you'll turn in your Bibles, I'll give you a second to find it. We're going to read verses 26 through 43 in the 23rd chapter of Luke. All right, this is God's word. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming and they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were laid away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive, living, and sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, Use it, Father, uh, and use Parker as your servant, Father, to uh, expound on your word and to teach us. And we pray, Father, for the help of the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts and our lives and teach us and draw us closer to you. Help us to see you more clearly and help us to love you more. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Well, if you've been around here very much, you'll know that one of the questions that we like to ask is, if you were to die tonight and God should ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what reason could you possibly give him? The answer to this question reveals much about uh, to whom or to what we look in order to be saved, our functional saviors. And when we ask this question, we receive all sorts of answers, some right and some wrong. But I think the one that is the saddest that I've ever heard 
is, I sure hope I make it. I sure hope I make it. Indeed, I've been to funerals before where the preacher has said, I think he made it. You know, for the believer, we can know for certain that upon our death, we will go to heaven. We can have the full assurance that when we take our last breath here on earth, that our next conscious thought will be with Jesus. And away from this fallen world and broken bodies. Away from sin and temptation, from suffering, hurt, poverty, and struggle. We will wake up in rest. We will wake up in glory. There is no waiting room. There, is no, there are no long lines. When believers die, they go straight to heaven. Isn't that great news? This is a question that has reached us in the last six months, hasn't it? We're a church that is hurting. As we have seen many of our brothers and sisters go and be with the Lord. And this morning, the intention is not to open old wounds. The intention is to remind us of the promise that we have in Jesus. I understand the sentiment that's often uttered, I hope I make it. Largely because it's rooted in the understanding that heaven isn't the only destination after death. In fact, it is not our default destination. The place we go to when we die, if we don't know the Lord Jesus, our default destination is not heaven, but rather hell. A terrible place of torment, of wailing and gnashing of teeth, of fire and eternal separation from God. It is the eternal presence of His wrath and curse without the presence of any of His mercy and grace. But here is the thing, though this is what we deserve, there is something that has happened on the cross of Calvary that has changed everything. That those who trust in the name of the Lord Jesus are given eternal life. And upon their death, they, are, they enter their eternal reward. And this is where we pick up with Luke 23. You know the story. It's the old redemption story, isn't it? The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh. He became man, humbled himself even to the point of death, the point of death on a cross. He lived the life that we did not. He was perfect. But throughout his ministry, he was heading towards one goal, the cross outside a hill, outside the city gates of Jerusalem on a hill called the place of the skull. This is where we find him this morning. And it is here that we find the assurances of our salvation and the assurance of heaven. There were three wooden crosses on the hill, not just one. In the middle was our Savior, having been scourged and beaten. You could see his bare ribs and meat and flesh were having been torn off, were hanging from his sides. Blood was dripping down his face and nails were holding him up there between bones, penetrating muscles and tendons. All around him, he was mocked. He was mocked by the Jews, he was mocked by the Romans, and then came the voices of those around him on the crosses beside him. One was the voice of blaspheming and of mockery, and the other was a voice pleading for salvation. We don't know much about these men. Luke tells us that they were criminals. The word that Matthew uses, the Greek word, uh, can be translated in a lot of different ways. Robbers, insurrectionists, even revolutionaries. 
Indeed, it's the same word that is used to describe Barabbas. You remember him. He was the one whom the crowds demanded to be released instead of Jesus. And we know that he was a murderer and had tried to seek, uh, start a revolution. These were not nice men. These were not petty thieves. They hadn't gotten caught stealing an apple. They weren't noble and they weren't honorable. Indeed, the fact that they were being crucified, which most consider the most heinous way that man has ever devised to kill someone, shows that while we don't know much about them, the Romans knew enough to consider them a threat and even a threat to the state. But these two are very different, with two different stories. One starts to rail and blaspheme against Jesus. We see this in verse 39. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save us and yourself. Think about this. The one whose destination was hell, he begins and he starts insulting and mocking the only one in all of the universe who has anything to do for him, the only one that could save him. And what is his response? He blasphemes him. He mocks him. He digs his grave a little deeper. But not so the other thief. He was different. He wasn't different because he was innocent. He wasn't different because he didn't deserve the punishment he was undergoing or even the punishment of hell that you and I deserve. But because he knew he was guilty and he knew that Jesus could save him. We see this in verses 40 and 41. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, are we indeed ju- and we indeed justly, for we are reserving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. He looks at the other thief and says, you fool! Don't you know who this is? But the second thief didn't know just who Jesus was. He sought to know Jesus. This is the difference between heaven and hell, between the first and the second thief. It separates the angels and the demons. See, he cries out to Jesus. Verse 42, and he said, Jesus, remember me. Yehoshua, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What does he do with his knowledge of Jesus? He calls out to Jesus, Save me. Remember me. Rescue me. Not to rescue him from their shared crosses, but to save him from his true penalty of his sins, the eternal penalty of his sins. Note the difference between the requests of these two thieves. The one asks for him to save him, right? But he mocks him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. The next man says, I know I'm guilty. Save me. Remember me. Remember me. How can we make heaven our destination? How can we make heaven our destination? If it is not our default destination, how can we make it our destination? What must change? I think we have here a a good blueprint. The first is that we must accept that we are a sinner and that we too deserve punishment. That's what was going on with this man, the second thief. He didn't try to hem and haul. He didn't try to explain away, I didn't do it, Jesus, I'm innocent. 
He was in the presence of Almighty God hanging on a tree. And he knew in that moment that Jesus was righteous and innocent, but he was guilty. And in order to be saved, we too must realize that we stand condemned by the law of God, that our mouths are stopped as the evidence is brought forth of all the things that we have said, thought, and done. We are just like those two thieves on the crosses next to Jesus. We deserve hell. And we on our own are without hope apart from Jesus. And realizing this, the thief and we too are called to call the name of the Lord. He knew who Jesus was. He knew his name. He knew he was righteous. We don't know how, by the way. The text doesn't tell us that. Perhaps John the Apostle, who is still at the foot of the cross with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other women, he's the one that didn't, didn't forsake him. Maybe, maybe John is preaching to him. Or maybe this, this thief has heard Jesus preach in the synagogues or the, or, or the temple. Or maybe the Holy Spirit has just opened his eyes and his heart to know who this is. That hadn't had to happen anyway. But he calls on Jesus. Which brings us to one of my favorite texts. I know I say that almost every week. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, verse 23. Jesus responds. How many ways could Jesus have responded here? Are you kidding me? You're hanging on a cross. I, I don't deserve it, but you do. That's not what he says. God, our Lord is a God of mercy and grace. And he came seeking the lost. And here he is, hanging between two of them. And one of them cries out, Remember me, Lord. Remember me. And what does Jesus say? Truly, amen. That's what it means. Amen, I will do it. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. There are a lot of words we quibble over in the English language. I think lawyers most, I love lawyers, I'm sorry. I think, I think lawyers, uh, you know, most of their money is, 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 is earned by parsing out what a word means, a single verb, trying to figure out when Merriam-Webster's tells us exactly what it means. But one of the words we do not quibble over is the word today. You know what here it means? Today. It actually means today. Not tomorrow, not tomorrow evening, not after a long waiting period, not until your application is processed. Today you will be with me in paradise. You are going with me to heaven. This man lived for just a few hours as a Christian. He didn't have time to do good works. He didn't have time to to be baptized. All these are great things. The only thing this man knew was faith in Jesus Christ. And today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus died before this man. We know that from the passage in John, which recounts this. John 19 tells us that the Roman soldiers had to come and and break the legs of the two thieves. It was taking too long to die. The, The sun was soon to set. They had to be down from the crosses before the Sabbath came. And so the Roman soldiers, they went and they broke the legs of these two men. This man had a lot of pain to go through before he went to heaven. And when it came to Jesus, he was already dead. They didn't break his legs. That was in reference to prophecy of the Old Testament. Jesus went ahead. Jesus went ahead. This man still had a little payment to do, not for Jesus, not for God, but for the Romans. Where had Jesus gone? He'd gone to heaven. And where did this man go when he died? Straight to heaven. Can't you imagine what they talked about? Hey, man, that was awful. (laughs) Praise God. 
Today you will be with me in paradise. This is, this is the promise for all believers, by the way. Not just for the thief on the cross. You know, the, the body of the thief on the cross was still on the cross when he died. And soon it would be thrown in a potter's field. Soon it would go into a cheap field uh, to be, you know, little, little dirt thrown over it. But where was the thief? He was in heaven. This is what happens when we die before Christ comes again. Our bodies go into the ground. But our souls, who we are, our spirits, what makes you and what makes me, our personalities, all that we are apart from our bodies, we go and be with the Lord and we are present with Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 6 through 8 makes this very clear. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away with the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And here it is. And we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Straight away. That's what happens. When we die, when we believe on Christ for salvation and we receive eternal life, which begins at the moment of our salvation, our souls stay alive through our death. We are immediately accepted into Christ's presence, perfected, and there we will dwell with Him forever and come back with Him when He comes back, which we'll talk about next week. How do our souls get to heaven? Uh, we're told two things in Scripture. They, they mesh together. It's a both and. It's fun. John 14, 1 through 4, passage that you know well, I'm sure. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, I will come again. And will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. I think the primary reference here is when Christ comes back. But I think the reference here too is upon our death, Jesus comes and gets us. Jesus comes and gets us. Our Savior, our God. When we die, He comes and gets us. Isn't that a comforting thought? But it apparently brings some company too. If we read in Luke 16... In the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man Lazarus, when he dies, uh, 16.22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Coming for to carry me home, right? That band full of angels. Upon our death, apparently it's Jesus and his angels. They come and they bring us home. I know in my time as a pastor... I've been with those who have gone to be with the Lord at the moment that they have gone to be with the Lord. But the most poignant was my grandmother, 10th grade, Ma Johnson. You know, one one minute she was there and one minute she wasn't. And we knew it. Her soul was with Jesus, no longer bound by legs, didn't work, by speech, impaired by a stroke, no longer plagued with weakness in her body or the pain uh, that she felt or the plain walls of the nursing home. Instead, the Lord and His angels had been in the room with us. We didn't see them, but my grandmother did. My friends, this is the promise we have in Christ. Do you struggle with this? We're finishing up our series on assurance this week and next. You can have the assurance... When believers die, when you die, if you trust in Christ for salvation, that you'll be ushered immediately into His presence. I want to make a few closing applications from Luke 23. The first is there's nothing that God can't forgive. 
For those of you who don't know Jesus, hear, hear me when I'm saying now. There's nothing that God can't forgive. These were bad guys. These were bad guys. These were bad guys. And what did Jesus say? When the thief cried out, remember me, remember me? He didn't say, here are the steps you have to do. I'm sorry you're not good enough for me. That's not what he said. He said, today, today you're going to be with me in paradise. There's nothing that God can't forgive. Period. Full stop. He isn't scared of your record. He came to nail it on the cross. Secondly, it's never too late to get right with God. I've met people who thought they've missed the opportunity, who missed the moment, perhaps Jesus had turned his back on them. My friends, that's just not true. It's never too late. In fact, 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And finally, we don't know the number of our days. It's never too late to get right with the Lord, but we don't know what's going to happen today. I, have a, I found it on my phone, a, a cartoon. I've re- referenced it before. Uh, I meant to print it out. It's, it's here, here lies J. Thaddeus. I have no clue who that is. Here lies J. Thaddeus, resolved to get right with Christ at 11, 11 p.m., died at 10.30. It's, it's a funny cartoon, but it's a pointed cartoon. It's not a funny cartoon, right? Because we don't know when will be our last moment. What if, and this doesn't work in God's sovereignty, he, he has his people chosen from the beginning of foundation, but what if the second thief had died when those Romans were scourging his back? A lot of them did. And he hadn't gotten to talk to Jesus. Now, hypotheticals aren't helpful. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Well, what's heaven going to be like? We're going to look more at that next week. About when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. And we live with him on this earth, restored and made new. Look forward to spending that time with you. I'll be preaching out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Prepare it, if you will, and read that text. Great text. But let me close with these three verses which uh, tell us a little bit about what's to come. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. My favorite, 1 Corinthians 2.9 Eye hath not seen nor ear heard Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Come, Lord Jesus, come soon. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise that you don't forsake us at the moment of our death, but welcome us home. We look forward to going home. Until then, Lord, help us to walk in faithfulness and the assurance that you've got us in your hands. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.